Welcome to Buffalo Camp Day Recap. I'm Thad Brown along with Carl Jones in today for day three of Bill's Camp here at St. John Fisher. Still no pads, still no shoulder pads at all, just uh, going in what Carl calls pajamas, the old Division I football expert here. But it is an accurate term for you know what these guys are playing in compared to what a normal set of gear would be. Let's start out with our reactions to what we saw at camp today. The number one thing I got to talk about is the Damar Hamlin one-on-one -on -one interception. I know you didn't see it. You're just going to listen. That's fine. Hamlin today, I don't remember what tight end it was. I think it was Quentin Morris, but I'm not sure. So it's a one-on-one -on -one drill where it's safety against tight end, and it's a drill that, as Carl will tell you, is geared towards the offense winning because essentially the receiver has the entirety of the football field to get open, and the defender has to cover one guy wherever he goes. Well, in this play, Hamlin had absolute superb coverage. He was kind of trailing the receiver with uh, the left side of his body pointing downfield at the end zone. He reached up with his right hand, knocked the ball away, it kind of deflected up in the air, and with the same one hand, reached out, pulled it in for an interception. By far, as far as I'm concerned, the best play of training camp. Now, it was almost top a little while later. You saw this one. James Cook put some reserve linebacker in a body bag at some point today. There was a little swing pass. Cook caught it, made a move, and this poor guy went Charlie Brown. Shoes and jerseys and just stuff flew everywhere. And Cook looked like everything the Bills hoped he would be in this camp. Oh, 100%. I mean, when the Bills drafted Cook, you want his explosiveness on, on display, his receiving ability. And, man, on that play right there, that's what they wanted. I'm interested to see where things go from here in terms of his pass catching ability and then his ability to blitz pickup because that's going to be his way on the field, right? You don't want to be a tendency breaker. Oh, James Cook is on the field. The Bills are going to pass. They're going to give him the ball. But if his, if he can take it up a notch and be able to step up in the in the A-gap and block those backers, then we might have, the Bills might have something special with that. But going back to the DBs and DeMar Hamlin, I thought the DBs had an impressive day, not just today, but the first three days so far, especially with Treyway on the men. Who knows when he's going to come back, still on the pup list. It was a bunch of guys up and down the depth chart. Tim Harris had a couple PBUs today. Nick McLeod had two interceptions yesterday. Kyrie Ilham had a better day today. I wouldn't say it was an A-plus or anything superb. But he had a couple plays against Stephon Diggs where I, was, I thought, okay, that's the guy that the Bills drafted. That's who they wanted. So I, that stood out to me. You know, going against an offense like the Bills who can be explosive and we expect them to put, a, put up a ton of points this year, that stood out to me. And I'm like, okay, maybe they have a couple guys that can hold things steady while Trey White is still recovering. And I thought today that was a, a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, with Elam, it's definitely the first two, three, two days. I was talking to someone on Twitter about this uh, yesterday. He really hadn't shown up at all. He'd been borderline invisible. Today was not that. Today there were plays made. He looked like a guy that at least belonged on the same field with the rest of the starters. Uh, a couple of things from, from camp for me today. Uh, number one, the, the offense still continues to kind of look shaky at best. Um, you know, Josh Allen was not very good today. Uh, O.J. Howard had a drop on a ball. I thought he should have caught over the middle. Again, defender in there making a play, but something you want him to hold on to. Dawson Knox had another one today where he kind of lost a battle. There was a throw where Josh Allen improvised uh, pretty well. He's directing traffic downfield. Gabriel Davis was well covered by Dane Jackson, but one of those underneath throws where the receiver can see it, the D-back can't. Davis makes the adjustment, and then he drops the ball. And, and it's not just the receivers. This offense for three straight days has not looked like the offense we think it should be. Now, I'm not going to have any concern. It's the Bills' offense. But three days in is at least a little bit eye-opening. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a valid point. New OC, you know, the slot position is changing up a little bit. Got a, a bunch of younger guys, Khalil Shakir. I know James Cook, those guys don't have big impressions on the offense. 
But I mean, OJ Howard's been this, been in this league a little bit. Gabe Davis is going into his fourth year. Josh Allen had a rough day, you know, yesterday. Mm -hmm. So you expect these guys at some point to flip the uh, flip the switch, you know, and start playing like themselves. And speaking of Gabe Davis, I thought that was Sean McDermott spoke before practice today, and he gave a, a soundbite that stood out to me. Sean McDermott doesn't really give you much. Yes. And, but he talked about Gabe's. Gabe Davis' ascension to being the number two receiver. I know everyone in the fantasy football world, and Bills Mafia included, believes that Gabe Davis can take that next step. And based off what he did in his last game out, he put up Madden numbers, Madden numbers and we're like, okay, he's legit, right? But McDermott tempered the expectations a little bit. He said that his ascension into that number two spot remains to be seen. You know, he talked about how um, he has to earn that spot, and you'll hear from that right now. As far as his ascent into that number two spot or whatever, I think that – uh, that'll that still remains to be seen. I mean, that's a that's a little bit of a different deal there, and people know, uh, opponents know. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a different focus on that spot as opposed to the three or four spot from time to time. So, um, do I think he can do it? I absolutely do. It. Full confidence in Gabe Davis, and uh, but he knows he's got to earn that spot. One of the fun parts about training camp is that every single year there's a whole new large group of guys who come in with dreams of making it to the NFL, guys who are maybe lower on the roster, people you haven't heard of, but there are some that have just incredible stories about how they got to this point. And, Carl, you sat down with uh, one of them today. Yeah, I was very fortunate to be Kingley, Kingsley Jonathan's teammate in college and great guy. Um, I knew that he was from the, the continent of Africa and knew about his story a little bit, but I had no idea the the depth of his story and how deep it goes. Uh, great guy. I mean, he's going to be a long shot to make the roster, but we talked about it a little bit. You know, P-Squad may be a, a viable route for him. But his story and how he got to the United States at the age of 15, and that wasn't the hardest part. It was when he got here and some things that went haywire for him. You guys will love this story. A great guy. He's easy to root for. Um, and it was a story that I'm sure you guys will enjoy. Kingsley Jonathan's family is back in Lagos, Nigeria, cheering him on as he tries to make the Bills roster, even if they aren't familiar with the NFL. A family back home, they don't understand the magnitude of it, so I try to explain to them as much as I could, but um, they were excited. Jonathan says that he was a good basketball player in his youth, so as a result, his parents felt that he would be better off taking his skills to the United States, but that meant at 15 years old, he would be leaving his family behind. It was, it was pretty tough. Um, but I had one goal in mind, you know, to just make it to the NBA then. But everything went left once he arrived on American soil. The host family that took Jonathan in was alleged to be a part of an FBI human trafficking scheme. We were sharing a room, me and like six other guys from different countries. All we did was play AAU basketball, do chores. We did a lot of stuff except going to school. Yes, Jonathan's first year in the U.S., he didn't go to school. However, one of his friend's parents saw the situation that he was in and decided to adopt him. From there, he found the game of football, the American version. I didn't know what football was until I got here. It was just a sport. I just went around and just, just hitting people, linebacker, running around, hit somebody, linebacker up. I don't know what I was doing. I was just running around. So Now, Kingsley hasn't seen his family since leaving Nigeria in 2015, and they've never seen him play football. In fact, they had to buy an iPhone just to be able to see his face. He says his parents are why he keeps going, and he's motivated to one day repay them. This is because of them, because of them and uh, the sacrifices they've made. I'm here because of them, and, and I hope I can just keep making them proud. You know? Just a remarkable story, and every time I get to sit down with Kingsley, I learn something new, and he's a fun guy. But I thought it was very interesting. We talked about it off-air a little bit. 
when he first got to the States and even during his time at Syracuse, he would watch a, a bunch of defensive ends and the guys that he would like to model his game after. And one of them was none other than Von Miller. And now he's, you know, in defensive meetings with him and on the field with him and learning from a guy like that, he says has been everything he's hoped for and, hoped for and more. You know, he, he's picking up every little thing that he can get from him. And so I just thought that nugget right there didn't make it into the package, but man, shout out to that relationship right there because that's definitely cool and you always dream of that. And if you don't appreciate that as much as probably we should as, you know, you and I are in the media, but we're also football fans. That's how we started, you know, and getting the opportunity to, even if, you know, Kingsley's only here for this month, you know, or maybe a little bit after that, you get an experience to rub elbows with a guy that you've looked up, looked up to your whole life. It's gotta be a, a fantastic opportunity. Speaking of opportunities, there are a few guys on this Bills team, they're gonna have one coming up soon, coming up to the end of their contract. Devin Singletary, guys like Dawson Knox. Well, Sean McDermott today talked about how difficult it can be that first time in the NFL when the business side kind of rears its ugly head and takes over and becomes a big part of your life. It's a little bit of a different deal. Uh, that's where our player development team does a great job in, in meeting the players where they're at in their career. We, we have programming where guys coming out of year one, okay, what does it look like? What challenges are there? Uh, some of the landmines that could be there that you don't know are there. Coming out of year two, coming out of year three, going into your contract year, so on and so forth. So we try and meet the players where, where they are in their career or just day to day. And this is something that we always have to be aware of. Obviously, the contract talk will take up a lot of space, certainly this year and into the next offseason, no matter what the Bills decide to do with all those guys who are up after this year. Now, with the Bills in their secondary, guy like Micah Hyde, who has been there for a long time, along with Jordan Poyer. I mean, this secondary really, Carl, you know, last season came in almost entirely intact, essentially intact. You had Levi Wallace and Trey White and um, Taron Johnson and the two safeties. This year, no matter who it is, there's going to be at least one new guy being plugged into the other corner spot, probably first-round pick Kyrie Elam, which, you know, makes it a little tougher. If Dane Jackson has the job, he's at least been here. He's done the job a little bit. Elam being so new, how hard is it to make a guy like that, you know, a, a functioning part of that secondary without that unit missing a beat? It's not just his skill set on his own. It's the communication aspect of the entire secondary. It's the relationships that you know on this specific formation and this call, mm -hmm. I have that trust that the guy behind me has my back. And with a rookie up there, maybe Poyer or Hyde want to lean his way a little bit more often in some of those situations. So with a guy like that who's new and hasn't been around as long, not just the fact he's been a rookie, but he's not in this system. You know, those ins and outs where it's was understood doesn't need to be explained, so to speak, a lot of those times in that secondary. So that's an interesting bit where if Hyde and Elam are able to, you know, pick up those reps because White's not here. Not, he's not stealing these reps away from those guys. So he's kind of thrown into the fire a little bit of, you know, you're going to have to pick this up because we're going to need you come week one regardless if White's there or not. And it might be a good thing, too, just like you said, that Trey is not really a part of this camp just yet, that Elam gets all those first-team reps. Hyde, by the way, talked about how Elam can integrate himself into this secondary maybe a little quicker than another rookie might somewhere else. He's able to step in right now with some guys that have been together for a long time, and, and so he hears what we're talking about. He hears how we see things in meetings, and so um, you know he can paint the picture himself and just by asking the questions that he asks. So um, I, think, I, I think, you know, I can't speak for him, but I feel like, you know, if I'm a young guy in his position, I'd be real fortunate to, to step in that position. And um, we're not asking him to be, you know, anything that he's not. Just go out there and play your ball. He's going to have mistakes. Every rookie does. My rookie year, um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but as long as you learn from those mistakes, you'll be fine. Hyde was Mr. Storyteller today during his press conference time. Number one, he was asked about whether Tim Settle, who's 
already become notorious as a pretty loud, boisterous guy. If he's louder than Isaiah McKenzie, who is the reigning champ of loudness in that locker room. And Hyde said, look, Settle's loud all the time, just how he is. McKenzie does a better job of knowing when to press Hyde's buttons and being annoying with it. So I think advantage McKenzie overall and certainly in the annoying department. The other story that Hyde talked about today, uh, turkey burgers popped up again. This is the story that just will not go away this camp somehow. Um, apparently the Bills are keeping track of how many turkey burgers they have this camp. Hyde's at five. The leader right now is Trey White with 11. I guess ACL tears are fed by turkey burgers. I mean, I don't know if that works, Kyle, but, but Trey's going to go with it. I'm so over the past year or so, I've been trying to dial back on my red meat intake yeah. and turkey burgers. You. And you know what? Turkey burgers, they're becoming a, a constant for me. Like once a week, I need some. Yeah. But unfortunately, I haven't gotten to Pittsburgh St. John Fisher turkey burgers yet. So you know what, Trey White, I'm, it's 11 to zero right now. But <laughs> based off my love for turkey burgers, I might catch up to you by the end of the month. I'll let you know or not on that. We did have turkey burgers yesterday in the media dining area, and they do have a take-home container. So we'll have to coordinate. If we get through camp, you haven't had any, me and AJ will hook you up whatever day we find them. One other story I want to share from today, and in a little entirely different tone, actually. So, as usual, Josh Allen was signing autographs post-camp, and Josh has done a really good job of trying to get every single kid. Well, today, um, I saw Josh Allen take off his cleats and give them to a couple kids. And, and I asked the kids, you know, did you guys ask for the cleats? Did anything special happen? Like, no, they just, he just gave them to us. And a couple of young men from the city of Rochester, and you could tell very obviously that they were, you know, a little different than everybody else. You know, most people come to this camp, they have hats and T-shirts and jerseys, and it's like a sea of, of red and blue. These two young men who are brothers, uh, 14 and 12 years old, they didn't have any of that. You know, they, they didn't come prepared, they didn't have all the Bills gear, all the things to sign. So Josh Allen, being Josh Allen, um, he said that, you know, there was just, he didn't say this, but at the end of the day, Josh Allen wasn't going to let those kids leave without anything. So what he gave them were his cleats, pulled them right off his feet, signed each one, and those two young brothers go home not only with a heck of a memento, but an even better story. That's going to do it for us here on Buffalo Camp Day Recap for tonight. Remember, you can watch us every night. There is a Bills practice here at Fisher at RochesterFirst.com. You can also listen at Spotify every single time. For Carl Jones, I'm Thad Brown. We'll see you again tomorrow.